Would you pray with me? God in heaven, as we come again to your word, we remember that you are the rock of ages. In you we are hidden. In you we find our rest and our redemption. And we need your grace to understand what you have spoken to us. We need ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand. So Holy Spirit, come and affect that change in us so that we would be changed people, that we would be the redeemed of the Lord who learn to think and live the gospel of grace. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Once again, we'll be in Colossians. And while you're turning there to chapter 2, let me ask you this. What is the core of your Christianity? What is your Christianity all about? Or if you don't follow Jesus, if you're here this morning and you're not somebody who, who claims to follow Christ, what do you think Christianity is all about from the outside looking in? What is Christianity all about? Because that's really the, the issue that Paul is driving at. In the letter to the Colossians and in this passage, remember these people are being challenged from the outside, this small church. They're being, they're being told that Jesus is all well and good as a start, but if you really want to grow, if you really want to become more, if you really want to mature, then there are other things you've got to add to it. And what we're going to see in chapter 2, what we saw it last week and we'll see it again this week, as Paul begins his attack, he's going after these false teachers and he's really driving at the heart of the issue. What is the core of Christianity? What is Christianity all about? So read along with me. Chapter 2, starting at verse 16. Therefore... Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, the reality, belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, that's harsh treatment of the body, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, things he's seen, puffed up without reason by his unspiritual mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word and now the preaching, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to God, our rock and our redeemer. Who are the voices? What are the voices that you listen to? And I don't mean like in your head voices, but who, who are the people whose opinion matters? I want you to think of the top three. Whether for good or for bad, whose opinion matters the most to you? 
What are the voices that speak into your life? Paul is very clear about the voices we should listen to and the voices we shouldn't and why we shouldn't. Right? And what we're going to do is we're going to go through this passage and we're going to and we're going to first look at the voices we shouldn't listen to, the voice we shouldn't listen to and why. And we're going to find out that earthly man-made regulations will not help us. They will not profit us, especially when it comes to spiritual maturity. All right, so Paul begins by saying, let no one pass judgment on you. All right, he's talking about those, those people whose opinions maybe affect us for ill. They're, they judge us. He's talking about one person judging another based on a set of rules. I do this all the time when driving. Okay, you do it too, right? We do it based on appearance. We shouldn't, but we do. But Paul's saying, let no one pass judgment on you. Especially in what? In regards to food, drink, all these religious observances that actually come out of the Old Testament. It seems like this false teaching, this philosophy in Colossae had to do with some Old Testament, some Jewish regulations. Paul's saying, don't, don't be judged based on those, right? And he's not condemning the Old Testament holy days. He's not saying they're necessarily bad, but what he's condemning is the motive. He's condemning the motive behind observing them. Right? It, it appears that this false teacher is saying, okay, these things have to be observed so that you can get so that you can worship properly, so that you can have the right visions. He says, Don't let anybody disqualify you. Don't let anybody rob you of your prize. The false teacher is somebody who delights in Harsh treatment of his body, fasting, lots of fasting, worship of angels. Not sure what that means. And he goes on in detail. He brags about the things that he's seen, about spiritual visions. And basically what it all boils down to is that this false teacher is acting spiritually superior to the Colossian believers. And he's saying, here are the things you have to do. Right? Jesus is level one. But if you fast more, and if you worship these angels, worship these good spirits to keep the bad spirits away, then you get to move to level two. But then maybe you get to level three. You get to see some visions like I see, right? So he's bragging. He's bragging about his spiritual experience. And he's using his experiences as a way to say he's superior to them. He says he's superior based on his spiritual experience. And that still happens today, doesn't it? That still happens today when we make something else besides Jesus the rule. I don't want to name names and, and name churches, but it's very easy in our, in our culture where biblical literacy is so low, where an understanding of Jesus is so low, that instead of pointing to Christ, we point to spiritual experience instead. I have this vision. I had this dream. I have this gift. Paul's saying that's, that's not the basis for maturity. That's not what godliness is all about. Look, he says this, guy, this guy's puffed up. He's conceited. He thinks he's full of knowledge, and all he's really full of is himself. Whenever I read and uh, whenever I see that phrase, puffed up, I automatically think of puffer fish, right? The little, the little poisonous fish that turn themselves into balls. Um, that's, their, that's their method of defense. They're slow, kind of ugly. 
Um, so their method of defense is not swimming away, it's puffing up. Right? That's how they defend themselves when they feel threatened. Now, I don't know if that's why this guy felt the need to puff himself up. But he's puffing up based on what he thinks is his spirituality. And what Paul said, he's actually empty. He's conceited. He's arrogant. He's full of pride. And then Paul goes after some of the things that they're teaching. Look down in verses um, 20 through 22. Really, look at 21. He says, he's giving some examples. Right? These are some of the regulations this guy would have taught. Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. All these refer to things that perish as they're used. What Paul, what Paul is saying is, this guy is putting so much importance on things that have no eternal value. He's putting weight on things like food and drink, which are digested and, and move on out. Right? They, they perish as they're used. They, they won't last. So why should they be so important? They have no eternal value. They don't have spiritual value. Paul makes a similar point in Romans 14 and in 1 Corinthians 6 where he says, uh, basically, what you eat and what you drink don't have anything to do with your godliness. Right? So godliness has nothing to do with whether you eat or drink because those are just material things. Now, coming down the road right a little bit, Gnosticism was a way of teaching that said the material is bad and the spiritual is good, and so we want to reject the material. Christians don't believe that. Christians believe that material was created by God and it's good, and so we can enjoy it. But it's passing away. It's limited. It's not eternal. So that shouldn't be as important as these teachers were making it out to be, and we'll apply some things based off that in a little bit. He goes on to say, and these are really just human commandments and teachings. And this phrase comes right out of Isaiah 29 where God accuses the people of drawing near to him with their lips, worshiping with their lips, but not with their hearts. And he says they believe commandments taught by men. Jesus uses those same exact words to to attack the Pharisees. And the idea is that they're practicing a religion a man-made religion that they've memorized, but their hearts are not close to God. They have no knowledge of God. And so what Paul is saying in this case is these things that this guy is asking you to do, these harsh, these regulations, they won't actually help you know God. They won't draw you closer to God, and as we're going to find out, they may actually pull you away from God. They won't bring you closer to knowing God. And then he goes further and says, these things that they have are the appearance of wisdom In promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severe treatment of the body, they have no value in restraining the flesh. Imagine if you had a disease, a life-threatening disease, and what you were prescribed as a cure was actually a placebo, right? It was a sugar pill. It didn't do anything. It was designed to make you think you were getting better when, in fact, you'll still continue to get worse. Or... Imagine that the cure you're given actually causes the disease to ramp up, causes it to spread quicker, causes it to kill you faster. Paul says that's what's going on here. The cure that these guys are talking about, the cure these guys are recommending, it's not actually a cure at all. Another way of translating 
this verse the way that some translations do is they say that instead of actually not stopping the, the flesh, they actually indulge the flesh. They cause the flesh to be, uh, to be indulged. So think about it. Let's assume that you have some success uh, if you're going to pursue spiritual disciplines and you have some success in stopping certain sins. But while those outward sins may stop, in your heart you actually develop pride. And you start looking down on other people because you say, well, I don't do that. That's behind me. I don't sin that way anymore. You see what's happened? The flesh has been indulged. Yeah, you stop this sin over here, but inwardly, your pride has puffed you up. You think you're spiritually better when in fact... You're spiritually worse. That's what's going on. Paul's saying these outward regulations, they can't can't curb the flesh. If anything, they make it worse. They make us more prideful. They make us more self-righteous. The cure is no cure at all. But why? Why is because real life and growth only come from holding on to Jesus. All right, let's go back up to the top where it talks about the Old Testament regulations, those new moons and festivals, Paul says those things are a shadow compared to the reality. And now that the reality has come, we don't need the shadow anymore. We can come out of the shadows because they only pointed to Jesus, and Jesus is here. His point is they're they're part of an old order, and the new order has come. Something similar in verse 20 he says, if, you, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you let yourself be regulated? Why do you submit to their regulations? All right, imagine, um, Lord willing, in May, uh, Jessica Standerford will graduate from high school, right? Now, how silly would it be if that following August, Jessica went right back in, to her school, CCA, walked down the hall, and sat down in a desk just before the bell rang. All right, what would, what would you, like, she gets, she gets her notebook out, she gets her pencil out, she's ready for class. What would you say to her? You don't belong here. You've graduated. You've moved on. You don't belong here anymore. That's what Paul is saying to the Colossian Christians. He's saying, When you died with Christ, your link to those elemental spirits of the world, that philosophy, that way of life, was cut. It was severed. You don't belong there anymore. Don't go back to it. Don't live that way anymore. You have a new life in Christ. The old order is gone. The new has come. The the philosophers and the elemental spirits that they worship, they have no hold on you. Just in the same way that Chilton Christian Academy will no longer have a hold on Jessica after she has graduated. Their rules won't apply to her anymore. So once she's graduated, you've got to hold on. All right? In the same way, those, those worldly man-made regulations, they don't apply to Christians anymore. Now we're going to talk some about what that means. That doesn't mean there are no rules that govern us. There are rules that govern us, and we'll talk about that. But the point Paul is making is you belong to somebody else. You belong to another 
He says that the only way for true growth is to hold fast to the head from whom the whole body grows. Right? This false teacher, he's guilty. Uh, he, he thinks he's growing, but in fact, he's only puffed up because he's not a part of the body. He's not holding fast to the head. But if you're attached to the head, Christ is your source of strength and nourishment. There's also a picture of unity here. The whole body grows. And most importantly, it grows with a growth from God. Now, what does that mean, growth from God? Well, it means we grow in perfection. Right? It means we grow to be more like God as long as we're connected to Jesus. So think about it in terms of what these, these Christians were being offered. Think about it in terms of what you're being offered by your culture, by our culture, by the world, right? It's saying, yeah, you need a little bit more for perfection. You need to follow this regimen for perfection, right? And what Paul is saying is you've already got perfection. You will already grow in perfection as long as you hold on to Jesus. Don't go looking elsewhere. So if the other guy is offering growth, if the other guy is offering perfection, Paul is saying real, divine, spiritual growth only comes from Jesus. Only in Jesus. All right, so let me, let's, let's try to apply some of that. That's what the passage means. Now let's see if we can apply some of that to our situation. And I'm going to go back to that opening question. What is the core, Christian, what is the core of your Christianity? If you're going to define godliness, how do you define it? If you're going to lay out the faith for somebody, how do you lay it out? Maybe a better question is, are we guilty of elevating man-made principles above Christ? Right? Are we guilty of saying, this is a good Christian, this is a bad Christian, instead of pointing to Jesus. Because remember, we're, we all fall in the bad Christian category. That's what the gospel tells us. The good news is that we fail even at our own rules and regulations. That's why we need a Savior. So Christians, we need to make sure we're majoring on the majors and not majoring on the minors. I want to be, be very careful and make sure that you don't hear what I'm not saying. I said that right. Because one of the areas I think this happens, especially in our community, is on the issue of whether or not we drink alcohol. Do not hear me advocating you should drink. But what I want you to hear me say is, Christian, think through your reasons for abstaining from something or enjoying something. And do not make that principle the core of your Christianity. There are very good reasons for abstaining from drinking alcohol. It's destructive. It kills. It leads to addiction. Those are all very good reasons for Christians to not drink. But, we cannot make that a principle that defines our Christianity because it's not a principle in Scripture that defines Christianity. 
Christ defines Christianity. Hold to the head, not to the man-made regulation. Don't elevate the man-made principle over the Savior. We do the same thing with all of our cultural taboos. Smoking, tattoos, you name it. They're still up for debate whether it's helpful or not. That's not the question I'm asking, whether it's helpful or not. I'm saying don't elevate the taboo over the Savior. Don't, act, don't, don't make your convictions a law for the whole body because that's what's happening in Colossae. People with scruples are saying, no, you shouldn't do that. And Paul's saying, those things pass away. Those are, those are man-made regulations. Those things pass away. Don't make that the core of your spirituality. Okay? Now, hopefully, I, I didn't offend anybody. My point is we need to major on the majors and not major on the minors. Now, let me close with this. Non-Christian. If you're here this morning and you don't follow Jesus, what is it that, def- that defines Christianity for you? Looking from the outside in, what do you think is the definition of Christianity? And I hope this morning you've come to see that if it's following rules and regulations, you're wrong. The gospel tells us that we failed the rules and regulations and that Jesus has taken that record of sin. That's what that's called, by the way. When we break the law, it's called sin. And Jesus has taken all of our sins, past, present, and future, and he has nailed them to the cross where he died so that we could have life. The core of Christianity is Christ himself. And in Christ, you can be free. So if you are tired of running from one set of rules to another, from disappointment to disappointment, always trying to stop the flesh, never able to stop the flesh, always on the same treadmill, come to Jesus. Trust in Christ. He alone will offer life. He alone can save from death. His promises, His love, They never fail. He doesn't offer the empty promises that all the other voices out there do. His voice is the true one. And His promises are good and sure. Let me pray. Lord God, again, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we pray that You would apply it. Apply it to my heart. Apply it to our hearts. Let us know that our standing and our identity, it's in Christ alone. It's not in the rules we keep, the man-made religion we sometimes prop up as a way to justify ourselves. Truth and life and freedom are found in Christ and in Christ alone. Lord, would you teach us what that means from your word? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.